All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good stuff. Hey, I have a quick question here. Uh, who here has or has played with one of these bad boys? Yeah, I love it. It's, it's like revealing something about yourself right now with those little hands. I love it over here. If you don't know, uh, and just for the record, I didn't. I got corrected in the run-through this morning. This is actually called a MetaQuest. It's a virtual reality kit. It's got all sorts of fun things here uh, to be a part of it. This one is owned uh, by our student guy, Andy Acker. Uh, and let me just pause here for a second and say, if you have a teenager and they have not joined in with our Catalyst or Ignite programs, our middle and high school programs uh, with Andy, man, I would encourage you guys to remedy that. They are doing some incredibly fun stuff. They did some wild water games this past week. They have virtual reality, all sorts of cool things. And they love Jesus. So like, I would encourage if you have a teenager, make sure they're pointed at Andy. They're doing some incredible stuff. Uh, but here's the thing. I, I talk about virtual reality because this has been booming over the past few years. In fact, there are estimated to be 171 million virtual reality users worldwide. And it's expected that the virtual reality market is actually going to be, be just hit under $210 billion by the end of this year. Like, it's insane how much money they make with this. And if you don't know, virtual reality is this uh, completely immersive, visual, and sound-based experience that is all designed to make the user feel like they've been transported somewhere else. In fact, they use it in the military for different training exercises. Uh, it's used in sports. If there's like a play that somebody messed up, they can replay it again and again and again until they can learn from their mistakes. Um, it's used in uh, mental health in dealing with things like post-traumatic stress disorder. It's used in the medical field to practice procedures and surgeries. It's used in the classrooms to go on virtual field trips. Guys, it's even used in the fashion industry of all things, right? Like they will design what their store is supposed to look like with signage and displays and all of that and a virtual reality because it's cheaper than putting it up and then going, we don't like that, right? So they use virtual reality for everything. In fact, one of the biggest uses out there and what most likely in this room, what you guys are using it for is video games, right? Like there's a ton of video game market for this. In fact, it's going to make over $53 billion in the U.S. alone by the end of 2028 is what they're saying. All of that to say is that people are growing more and more attracted to the ability to go somewhere else and have a virtual experience. And it's pretty cool. I mean, check this thing out. I don't know if this is going to work this morning, but oh yeah, there we go. All right, like here's the thing. I know I look ridiculous right now, but I can't see you smiling and laughing at me, so it's okay. But I can use this little remote here and I can click a few buttons and I can be on the beach in Hawaii, right? Like I can, I can see sand. I can see, uh, see and hear seagulls going around. There's waves rolling in. And then I can click a few more buttons, go to a different place, and I can be riding a gondola in Venice down the river. And I can see all these buildings with their cool architecture just floating up right there. Or I could click a few more buttons and all of a sudden uh, I can be in the ocean off the coast of the Carolinas looking at a shipwreck surrounded by scuba divers and things like that. Like I can go anywhere and do anything and it's immersive, it's incredible, it's cool. But there's just one problem. When I take this thing off, I recognize it's just not the real deal. It's cool, it's a great experience, it's neat, it's a lot of fun and if you've never done it before, I would encourage, like give it a shot but it's not real. Like we can do everything we can to make this technology more immersive, sound better, visually crisper, whatever it is, and at the end of the day, as soon as I take it off, I just recognize it is not the real deal. See, we've been working through this uh, series 
looking at the book of Colossians, as Rick said, and it's Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, and there's a major theme that has gone through this, and it's this idea of Paul dealing with a false teaching here, and, and he's been made aware that the church in Colossae is, is confused and maybe even being swayed by some teacher or, or teachers, and, and that you're teaching, man, it seems to be good. Like, it seems to be spiritual. It feels attractive to the church, but in reality, it's actually really, really dangerous. And it's not pointing anybody to Jesus. And so a part of what Paul does when he writes this book of Colossians is he's trying to help correct the church. He's trying to help explain where these dangers are, and he's trying to corral them together so that they can move closer and pursue closer after Jesus. He wants them to know that Jesus is alive, and that's kind of what we talked about here these past few times, that man, as a church, we can be unified because Jesus is alive, and what does that mean for us? And then after he's done with that, he kind of dives into our passage today where he's addressing this teaching a little more head on. And so we're just going to read it together this morning, um, and then we're going to go down, and we're just going to go verse by verse and kind of check out what all it means for us. But uh, if you have the North Point app, man, open that up. If you don't, like, feel free to grab a Bible in front of you and read along here. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, we're going to jump into verse 16 together says this, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligament and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which all have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So uh, if you were to study scripture, you want to be good at understanding the Bible, uh, one of the things that we have to get really good at is understanding the context that anything would be written in. And what that simply means uh, is we get into passages that talk about things like shadows and visions and worship of angels. Like, it can be easy to get lost in something goofy like that. Unless we know the context, unless we can sit here and recognize, hey, when was this written? Who wrote this? Where did they write it to? What's the culture that it was written during? And then we can see how it applied for that time period and then transport it over to Michigan in 2022 and say, hey, what does this mean for my life? And so that's what we're going to do here. We're going to look at these verses and what they meant for the church in Colossae and then see how it applies to us as well. Uh, we start, verse 16 says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath. All right, we're already starting off on a weird foot, right? It's the first word in here, this therefore word. This is a little, little Bible study trick for you guys, okay? You can go home and be like, hey, I learned something. I didn't pay attention to the rest, but I know this one thing. And it's this idea of therefore. Uh, anytime you read scripture and you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore? Oh my gosh, you guys are so smart. Man, Rick's done a good job over the years. Or Chris, whoever it is, right? But here's the thing. Uh, what you're asking is, what he's saying here is, because of what I just told you, because of what was just said, now you've got to understand this. 
And Paul is basically saying that because you as a church are made new and alive and unified in Jesus, like you need to be aware of what I'm about to tell you. I've laid this foundation. Now here's what it means. And what he says is that this false teaching that was going around and infiltrating the church at this time, man, it was a really restrictive teaching. It probably had some roots or similarities or distortions and like Jewish traditions or so. And, and whoever was spreading this teaching was telling people that they needed to adhere to certain uh, eating and drinking regulations, that they had to avoid certain foods or beverages for a small period of time, if not just altogether, and that they had to pay attention to certain festivals or, or days when they could do certain activities or when they couldn't do certain activities. In fact, Paul does a thing in here. He calls out a new moon celebration, right? I'm going to save the podcast question on this one. What's a new moon celebration? Right? A new moon celebration was simply a time of the month where they would do sacrifices. It was monthly sacrifices that they needed to do. And Paul calls that out specifically here. And Paul is simply telling the church, hey, you don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. Like, you don't have to feel judged or pressured or like you've been doing this wrong the whole time by adhering or, or not listening to these kinds of things. Like, recognize these aren't necessarily bad things, but they also aren't necessary things either. It's not that these are bad things. It wasn't bad for them to know and, and kind of have some of these restrictions or put that on themselves, but it, but it wasn't necessarily a, a necessary requirement that they had to do. So they didn't need to feel bad about part of that. In fact, today we would call this uh, legalism. If you've been around church, you've probably heard that word before at some point in time. Uh, and it's this rigid idea that everything in life is always black and white. And that if you are doing everything perfectly or, or at least keeping up the appearance of doing everything perfectly, that man, you're just missing it all together. You're just horrible. You're just not worth it. You're just off to the side. And some of you guys have been at a place where this was a thing, and you felt that restriction, you felt that pain, you felt that burden before. Because the hard part about living in this mindset is that, man, we're just not perfect. We mess up. We make mistakes. We have lessons to learn. We have areas that we still need to grow in life. And this mindset, man, it just doesn't have room for things like mercy and grace in fact, Paul says in verse 17, he says, these, meaning the, the festivals and the, and the food stuff, are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Paul is pointing out that all these festivals and, and food regulations actually had a purpose. They pointed to the coming of Jesus. They were created and they were done so that, that people would get a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he was coming to do for all of mankind. They were not the important thing, but they pointed to the important thing. They were neat and they were attention grabbing, but man, they were really, they were just virtual reality in comparison to the real deal that is Jesus. And Paul does not want the church that is reading this letter to get caught up in all these shadows and just miss the real deal. He doesn't want them adopting a rigid mindset and as a result, miss Jesus because they, they settled for the shadow. In fact, if we go back in the book of Matthew, we see that, that the apostles asked Jesus this question. They said, hey, how many times are we supposed to forgive somebody? In other words, how many times before we can like hold somebody down or we can just cut them off because of their bad choices? And Jesus responds just like typical, beautiful Jesus fashion here. Look at this, Matthew 18. It says, then Peter, God bless Peter, foot in the mouth Peter, shows up here and he says, then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, 
How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Like Peter probably thought he was big stuff in this moment, right? Like I love Peter, right? He says the dumbest stuff all the time. He's like my spirit apostle or something, right? He's the best. And Jesus, is it like seven times? Because like I would do it seven times, Jesus. Yeah, come on, right? Like in this moment, and it just doesn't work. Because Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And Peter's like, ah, shoot, right? (laughs) Jesus is really, he's, he's speaking in hyperbole here because he wants to try and blow Peter's thinking out of the water. Jesus doesn't want his followers thinking like, how long is good enough? How long do I have to put up with this before I can just cut these people off? How long before, man, I can just bring the hammer down on them? And instead, Jesus is trying to get rid of this, this legalistic and this rigid mindset, and he's replacing it with grace and mercy, and it flows from the grace and the mercy that he's shown us. See, the church in Colossae was feeling the pressure of keeping up the appearances and this burden of living a mistake-free life. That's what they're being told, and yet by the grace and mercy of Jesus, we're set free from that. Not free to do whatever we want. Like, that's not how that works. It's not free to do whatever we want. But in other words, we are free in that we are not weighed down by our mistakes and our poor choices anymore. That God loves us so much, he just meets us where we're at. But because of that great love, he doesn't leave us there in those poor choices. But the more we know him, the more we grow into him, man, the more it changes us. We're not changing to meet Jesus. We change because we met him. And it changes everything about us. And when we understand and we get that kind of, kind of care and, and compassion, man, then we can give it so much better as well. It's 70 times seven. It's, it's letting go of the rigid festivals and restrictions. It's receiving and giving grace because we have the real deal in Jesus. Not the virtual reality of a rigid system, but the real deal in Jesus. Look at verse 18. Paul keeps going on. He says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. And Paul's still talking about these teachers who are are given the church these ideas and, and these notions that are just separate from what Jesus taught. And Paul's telling them, hey, look, these teachers, they look spiritual. They look like they've got it all together, like they have some sort of extra connection to God or spiritual things. And they they appear humble. They talk about these great visions that they've seen. They worship angels, what they do and what they talk about. Like it seems legit. It feels spiritual. It looks cool. It's not. It's more virtual reality. See, whenever I read about false humility, I think of this thing called the humble brag. You guys heard of the humble brag before? It's this idea that when somebody tells a story, they overcomplicate it with details about how amazing they are by just kind of slipping them in, right? So like if they were to come up to you and try to tell you that they saw your brother last week, instead they'd say, hey, like uh, last week when I was at the gym for the fourth time, uh, squatting 400 pounds on a typical leg day, I uh, saw your brother in the parking lot. 
right? Like all these stupid details about how great they are, like tucked into just this most simple thing in the world. And it's the most ridiculous thing. That's a humble brag. Now, that's not a brag I've ever made, just for the record, but that's what they look like. And we've all done it in some capacity, one way or another. We slip those little details in or whatever it may be. Man, it's a false humility. And for the church in Colossae, these teachers or, or teachers are, are given humble brags about their visions are, are all these things because they want to feel and look special. Like they've got this special connection to the spiritual world because they're just special individuals. And it's all fake. It's all fake. It sounds neat. It feels cool. It's attractive. It's virtual reality. It's not the real deal. And one of the ways that we know that is because of this idea of, of worshiping angels is what it tells us, that that angels are created beings from God. And there's some really cool stuff about angels in the Bible. Like this, on one hand, they're like these amazing creatures. And on the other hand, they're like these terrifying creatures as well. And there was this idea and this belief going around that, man, God was so busy. He just didn't have time to deal with the stuff in my life or what I needed. And so he was unresponsive and kind of uncaring. But man, if I prayed to angels, like my guardian angel would flap on down and be like, here is the winning lottery ticket and flap away or whatever they did. Like they would just meet my needs or desires or whatever it would be that give me protection and, and guidance. And that's just missing the point. The reason we don't worship angels is that they're less than God. Like we actually have one thing in common with angels and that's we're both created by God. And what we recognize is we don't worship creation. We don't worship angels. We don't worship anything that God has created. We worship the creator himself and that creator is not distant but yet he works out what he knows is best because he cares for you like angels are neat they're attractive they're fun they sit on my little shelf at home right like those little I don't know what are those like precious moments anybody got some of those things right like little angel things or whatever like they do nice little displays they're neat they're just virtual reality they're not the real deal either see look too many times too many times we settle for a cheap substitute. I got to spend three weeks in China during college doing some, some incredible, incredible missions work. Like I still have incredible memories and it changed my life being there. And I got connected with a group that was from a church in Texas. And they brought their youth pastor with them. It was a guy named uh, John. And John was great. He was so much fun to be around. He was just engaged in this experience. He was just soaking it all in and would just get lost in every single thing we did in China, especially the shopping piece of it. <laughs> like we spent one day going to all these different markets and I loved it because we got a barter back and forth and I'm working someone down for like a dollar for a pencil to 50 cents and then didn't even care, right? Like it's just fun to do and John was terrible at it, just terrible at this. So he shows up to us as we're eating dinner and he says, guys, I gotta let you know, I bought an iPod. I got an iPod, guys. And this was when iPods were like just coming out. It was huge. He's like, yeah, I spent $50. I got an iPod. It's charging up after dinner. I'm going to play it for us. It's going to be so great. And we're like, man, that's super cool. Like, where did you find this? There's a little guy in, in this little hut thing. And he had him. And we're like, oh, John. Oh, John. And he's so excited, right? Like, you don't want to burst the man's bubble. He goes back. He comes out as pumped as could be. And he's showing it off to us. And, and there was a guy from his church that said, John, that's incredible. But just so you know, iPod isn't spelled with a U. <laughs> yeah. John's iPod played one song and never turned on again. <laughs> he was not good with those $50, man. He had bought a cheap substitute. <laughs> 
Man, there are a lot of times where we settle for cheap substitutes in our spiritual lives. That in the pursuit of something good, we spend more time just kind of looking for the next thing that's, that's a flashy thing. And we take something that can be good, and we just place way too much value on it. Like, uh, we, we identify ourselves by, by our job or, or a personality test or a team or a bank account number or a new Bible study video or a political party or whatever else it may be. And look, it's super neat that you're an Enneagram 4 with a wing purple and a weakness for essential oils. That's great. But there's more than that. There's more than that. And it's great that you've got, like, like your own private dock at your cottage. That's so cool. Invite me up. I'd love to see it, right? But like, there's more than that. That's a cheap substitute in comparison with Jesus. That's not how we define who we are. We're defined as image bearers who have been adopted into the family of God because of the blood of Jesus. That's who we are. All these other things, they're neat, they're attractive, they're fun, they're cool, but they aren't the real deal. Even good things can become cheap substitutes because they aren't the real deal. They aren't what it's all about, and they aren't even close to it. Paul goes on, and he says this about the teachers in verse 19. He says, they've lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Simply put, Paul says, hey, these teachers... Just not connected to Jesus. Like you want to grow, you want to get better, you want to heal, you want to get connected to the God of the universe. It doesn't happen without Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body and the head of the church. He's the one that holds every single thing together, and he's the one who causes us to grow closer to himself and all of God. That if you remove Jesus, what you get instead is just a cheap substitute. And Paul is urging the church, man, don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. Don't be drawn into something that isn't real. That's not going to make a difference. That's just not going to last. Look at verse 20. He says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why? As though you still belong to the world. Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Man, Paul is challenging the church, and he's asking them why they are still relying on things of this world to get closer to God. For the church in this time, it was rules about what they could eat, times when they could eat it, and how they had to handle it. It was all about doing the right things at the right time so that they could get access to God. But man, when Jesus died to take our place on the cross, when he defeated sin and death by rising again, he put all of those things to bed. It's not about doing the right things to get to God. It's about knowing, trusting, and finding forgiveness in Jesus. And Paul is saying, don't go backwards into that routine anymore. Don't get caught up trying to do and become consumed with just checking off the right boxes. It's not going to help. It's not sustainable, and it's not going to last. These are just commands and rules from a guy, but what you have is access to the God of all creation. Man, hold on to him. 
Hold on to him and let go of just trying to be good enough. Because you can't be. You can't be. It's not worth trying. It's not going to last. It's not going to win. Just give up trying to be good enough and just try to be with Jesus and like Jesus. See, if there's encouragement in this passage for you and me, it's simply to be real. Be real. I have had way too many conversations with people who feel like they cannot step inside of a church because they aren't good enough. They have baggage that weighs them down, and there is no way that they can even fake it to look good. And I love these people. Why? Because I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Guys, I am littered with flaws and mistakes and bad choices, so much so that if my goal was just to be good enough, man, I'd toss in every towel I have in my bathroom. Like, there's no way it's going to happen. I can't be. We don't need to be. What I've learned is that the church isn't a place that you try to earn yourself entry into by having your life together. That's ludicrous. Instead, it's a family of broken people who are encouraging each other in their pursuit of knowing and loving God more. Man, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. In fact, Paul goes on in verse 23. He says, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Man, Paul is basically calling out this idea that, that we can work into a more spiritual experience or become better by, by checking off boxes of perceived good acts as unrealistic as virtual reality. They have the appearance of wisdom, Faking humility, worship in the proper way, and refraining from good things to become more holy. There are places where people still do all of these things because they have this, this pious belief that it's going to make them more connected, more spiritual, that it unlocks this, this hidden path to enlightenment. But Paul points out, man, it's worthless. It's worthless that none of this keeps people from giving in to what they really want. See, it's the same idea about having habits. I've heard that it said it is impossible to just stop a bad habit. You can't stop something that has become routine in your life that you know is wrong but still want to do because what Paul calls here sensual indulgences, or rather put simply doing what it is you really wanted to do anyway. Trying simply to not do something is just not effective. See, whenever we go on long car rides uh, in my family, there is inevitably a moment, or more like five, where my wife seriously contemplates throwing me out of the car. <laughs> and she does this because I have a bad habit that I do mainly while I'm driving, and it just crawls under her skin, and she just gives me the side eye, and I just know, I just know I'm in trouble in this moment, right? So turn the radio on, talk to the kids, whatever distraction I can get. Right, you guys ready to judge me for this? I'm a nail biter. Yeah, right? I knew there's somebody out there who would feel that. I knew somebody would, right? Some of you guys are like, I can't look at Jake ever again because he's disgusting, right? And some of you were like, oh, please. I hope my wife doesn't call me out for the, my nail biting too, right? I get it. Shh, stay hidden. It's better that way, guys. But here's the thing. I'm a nail biter. And no matter how hard I try, I could not stop. I would be in the car. I would start to bite my nails. My wife would shoot me a look and my fingers in my mouth and I'm going, eh. I don't know what to do, right? And I'll be, I'm so sorry, honey. I won't do it again. 
right? Three miles later, I got the other hand in there, and she's like, I, I unlocks the doors, and I just know it's all going down, right? Like, no matter what, no matter how hard I try, and the reason is because, honestly, guys, I don't care. I know that might be gross to some of you guys, but I just don't care enough. Big deal that it's there, right? I can't stop because I don't really care to stop. I can't stop because stopping itself doesn't work. I have to replace the habit with something new. Like, we know that about ourselves, right? You don't just stop eating Doritos, right? You got to replace it with something good, healthy food, water, exercise, sleep, so that you're not eating because you're sleeping. I don't know. Like, you have to replace it with something that's there. And we tried it. I tried chewing gum. And you know what I found out? My wife hates the way I chew gum, right? So <laughs> we're still working on that kind of thing. <laughs> Paul is, in essence, saying that all these teachers who deprive themselves who are seeking out a more spiritual feeling or experience or, or puff themselves up to appear holy, that it's just not going to last. Because what they want isn't a real experience. What they want is virtual reality, where they feel good and they feel special about themselves, that it's about them and it's about their pride, not about knowing and growing closer to Jesus. Because I've heard a lot of people from a lot of different places say things like, you know, I just don't get much out of church anymore. Like all the Bible stories, like I grew up hearing those and stuff, so I kind of know them. Like it's just not, it doesn't connect with me anymore. I get kind of bored. I just tune out. I, whatever it may be, right? Like, like I hear that from several places and several people. And so what people do is they do one of two things. They either decide, hey, I'm riding solo. And they just disengage from church because they're like, I didn't, I didn't get enough out of it. And so they're just going to go do their own spiritual experience. And they're going to be a part of that. Or they go on a treasure hunt where they, they like become um, Nicolas Cage on National Treasure. Like looking at what's the hidden stuff in the Bible that I may have missed that nobody else knows about and will lead me to a pot of gold or whatever it may be, right? <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that worship should be boring. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't deep dive into the Bible to learn more. They absolutely should do that. What I'm saying is that if being entertained or, or looking for the next shiny thing is that what you're trying to get out of church or your spiritual life, then you're missing the real deal. Simply put, Jesus is the goal. Like, I don't dive into scripture so that I can find the new hidden thing. There are a lot of people out there smarter than me who understand scripture way better than I do, and I'm relying on him all the time for the kinds of things. But we don't do that. I don't dive in to find the hidden thing. I dive in to find more of Jesus. We don't gather to worship on Sunday because the band is good and the speakers are good looking. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Come on. I was like, where's my wife? She's not cheering either here. Okay, so there you go. But we don't dive in to be entertained. We don't come to church so that it's a cool thing, right? That's not why we're coming here. We gather to worship Jesus together and so that together we can pursue more of him so that I can have people that I talk to when my life is tough and say, man, I am struggling. And they can love on me and pray for me. Or when I'm doing dumb stuff, they can come beside me and slap me on the back of the head and say, uh-uh, man, that's gonna hurt a whole lot more than the slap. Like, you need to stop. We gather because we need each other. And we gather to worship a God who is just beyond comprehension and deserves more worship than we could give in the first place. And Paul is letting the Colossian church know that these teachers looked neat and inviting, but they were missing Jesus. And don't get caught on anything other than Jesus because it won't last. It's not real. And what Jesus has is so much better. 
Guys, here's the challenge. Are there things in your life that are cheap, fake versions of what following Jesus should really look like? Do you need to lay down the facade and get real with where you're at? Is the person that you're showing the world somebody who is pursuing Jesus in every part of their life, or are they somebody who changed based on what part of their life that they're living in? And Paul is urging us not to get sucked into a virtual reality of, of religious appearances or cheap substitutes. And only Jesus is the real deal. And anything short of him won't fulfill you, and it's not gonna last. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, you're the real deal. It is all about you. Forgive us when we forget that. Father, don't let us get caught in a cheap substitute, whatever that may look like, whatever that may feel like. Because it's not about a religious experience. It's not about a spiritual experience. It's not about feeling good about ourselves. It's about pursuing, knowing, and loving you. Because only you are worthy. And so, Jesus, we are before you, humbly on our knees, saying we love you, we worship you, and we pray in your name. Amen.